agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorff, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I'm joined by the professor of law at Chase Law School, Ken Katkin. Ken, welcome to the Midweek Show. It is very nice to be back. Well, Ken, this should be an interesting show. I'm doing something I don't normally do. I'm, I'm drinking the hard stuff. I'm having a Coke Zero as we speak. <laughs> that is the hard stuff, huh? It is, right? Like, <laughs> keeps you awake, a little jittery. I don't know. This is, I, I always kind of picture myself like, um, there's like that whole meme where he's got everything on the board and he's holding his hands out. I always figure like, that's somebody with too much caffeine. I don't know if you get this with your students, but there's that kind of sweet spot before the semester. I don't remember it happening when I was a kid. I guess maybe people were just doing illicit drugs. I don't know. But were they all <laughs> drink too many monsters? Like, there's that, and you're like, where did all of these cans of caffeine come from? They're just everywhere. <laughs> Does that happen with you guys too, or is that just an undergrad thing? Uh, you know, my, my yeah, my students, um, yeah, they do, they do sometimes like uh, seem jittery and bring in beverages. So yeah, it could be, it could be a law student thing too. Okay, okay. I mean, it's just, I, I always think like, let's just let's take the consumption down a little bit here, people. Let's just take it down a little yeah. bit. But anyway, and so actually, I'm, I'm, sometimes so I'll say sometimes I try to put in rules that they should stay in their seat and not go to the bathroom. But so they sometimes they just drink too much of those beverages for that, and they can't stay sitting for an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gave up on that. I gave up on that. I, I'm like, look, if you're going to come in and out, just get up in the back row. I don't like, whatever. I'm not I'm tired <laughs> yeah. of policing you all. That's the great thing about a podcast, people. You can get up. You can pause it. You can spade it up. You can slow it down. And I don't have to look at it, right? <laughs> 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 okay. So, you know, Ken, what we've been working through um, and uh, much like uh, what many of my students perceive my classes as slowly. We have slowly been making our way through the Constitution and, you know, we got through Article 1 and then we moved into Article 2 before you left. And last time we had covered Article 2, Section 2. So as a reminder, Article 1 is Congress. Uh, so we were going through all of Congress. And again, if you haven't heard those and, and you're a supporter, now would be a great time to head back, catch up. You know, this is not late breaking things. The Constitution isn't going anywhere. <laughs> uh, you know, you can come through with us. Uh, uh, and and so then we got to start off on two, which is dealing with the presidency, which is actually my area of uh, expertise or one of my areas of expertise as a political scientist. I'm a presidency scholar, uh, uh, particularly. And so we've we started with uh, Section one uh, dealing a lot of stuff with like the uh, uh, the vesting clause. But here we're going to be dealing with Article two. Uh, section two. And like we've been doing this, we kind of read pieces of it. We talk about it, analyze it a little bit, and we'll read more uh, and, and we'll see what we're going to kind of get through. But I thought I'd start with just kind of the first paragraph of section two, Ken, uh, which begins this way. The president shall be commander in chief of the army and navy of the United States and of the militia of the several states when called into the actual service of the United States. He may require uh, the opinion and writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments upon any subject relating to the duties of the respective offices, and he shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. So we get a lot of kind of implied things that start happening, right? 
you know, so we get this kind of very important power. The president shall be the commander in chief of the army and navy of the United States and the militia of the several states. And this is something I really talk to students a lot about because, of course, this is a big deal. We're going to have the highest ranking military official be the a, a, a civilian, right? Not somebody in uh, the, uh, uh, the military itself. That's a really big deal. Another thing that you might have missed, you know, if you've been coming all the way along with us, you'll notice here, he gets this ability to have the writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments. But of course, there hasn't been any mention of executive departments. You know, what is this, right? Like suddenly we have basically something new. So clearly there's this intention. uh, and, And one of the possible reads here is, right, the vesting clause vests the president with some powers that are not explicit or there's some implied things happening here, but we have this explicit mention of executive departments and they have to do something. They are subservient. They're underneath the president. They have to, they have to provide in writing opinions. And we get that. And then, of course, we finish up this uh, first paragraph with an, another power, and in this case, a power uh, 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 of pardon. Uh, and again, kind of reaching this, in this case, forward potentially to things that are going to be happening in Article 3. So, you know, for me, I think the big ones uh, here for the first portion of Section 2, of course, we have a civilian going to be in charge of the Army and Navy. And then, of course, surprise, there's executive departments. Yeah, I mean, the the sort of big takeaway I would take from Article 2, Section 2, Clause 1, is that it, although it sort of formally mirrors uh, Article 1, Section 8, which so in Article One, Section Eight, Congress gets a big list of enumerated powers. In Article Two, Section Two, Clause One, the President gets a list of enumerated powers. So there's a sort of parallel there. Here's some powers that the President gets vested in him directly by the Constitution. Um, but even though there's that formal mirroring, um, the first thing that that anyone would notice, and and you sort of got to it, is once you get past that very first power, which is pretty impressive, being the Commander in Chief of the Armed Forces of the United States. Sounds like a big deal. Um, you immediately get to a short and a short list of very piddly powers, right? Like there's there's nothing else on there that has that that's that's much of a power at all. Um, so besides being the commander in chief of the armed forces, well, he can make members of his own cabinet um, answer his questions in in writing. Um, all right, I guess that's Woo-hoo. a power. It doesn't it doesn't affect <laughs> us very much, but uh, that's something. You know, he can give pardons. Yeah, I guess that comes in useful at Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> uh, you know not not something now, like you know. I think at the time that, that that would that was obviously a little bit bigger of an ask at that time. There was questions about you know would uh, our executive have that similar kind of mimicking to the British monarch, which could intervene in some kinds of trial situations. Yeah, although I also don't think that they anticipated that there'd be even as many federal crimes as as we have. So, oh no, you know, I think that, no, that... yeah, yeah. So the universe of people who might need a presidential pardon, um, you know, I think that's was going to be a pretty rarefied uh, universe of people that was going to have very limited, I think, very limited impact on most Americans who never probably would have been in a position to be. Uh, convicted of a federal crime and, and needing a, a presidential pardon. So I, I do think those are pretty piddly, pretty minor powers. And they're 
the only powers um, that the, the president um, gets from from uh, clause one. He gets a few more from clause two, although the ones in clause two are all shared with the Congress. But um, the the unilateral powers from clause one, commander in chief is something, um, and uh, and in fact, not only of the uh, U.S. armed forces, but you mentioned the militia clause. He's also the commander in chief of the militia of the several states, and that would be. Um, Today, we would think of that as the president's power to nationalize and take over control of the, the National Guards, which are otherwise um, uh, sub- subject to uh, gubernatorial Well, and that uh, actually came up, that portion of the Constitution came up recently as it relates to Oklahoma, uh, when Governor Scott attempted to have a difference in requirements for uh, the Guard in Oklahoma. And it was a court case that actually dealt specifically with that. Uh, and and no, the president obviously has that power. Yeah, although only when the guard is called into actual service. I think I think in ordinary time when the um, guard is not called into the service of the United States, the the president wouldn't be able to um, exercise that particular power. Although Congress also has some other powers to set rules that govern the the militia or the, or the national guard. But yeah, so we see he's got this this big commander in chief power. That otherwise these minor powers. The next then we can should we move on to uh, clause two right after that? Yeah, I, I think that's important because right as you notice, you know, second the 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 first clause is dealing with kind of what you might think of as the unilateral powers. Uh, That's really not the right word there. But then we're going to get these with the Senate. But before we move into that, we're going to just take a break. Okay, so Ken, let's move into uh, the the second clause of Section 2, which says, He shall have the power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties, provided two-thirds of the senators present concur. And he shall nominate, and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers, councils, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for, and which shall be established by law. But the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper in the president alone, in the courts of law, or in the heads of departments. And that ends that second uh, uh, clause. Now, a lot of this kind of doesn't really even get uh, codified all the way in until we have the precedent of George Washington early on, right? You know, we have all of this, the advice and consent of the Senate, the advice. And, but what, you know, what does pragmatically the advice and consent of the Senate mean? And, and so one of the things to keep in mind is, is a lot of the execution of, of Article 2 isn't just in its interpretation, but it's in the early interpretation of the first Congress and the first president and, and how they decided to do that. And, and those precedents kind of breathe some additional meaning into those phrases like advice and consent. Yeah, I mean, I think the distinction between the, the two types of powers that are we just mentioned that are listed here in Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2, the, the, the treaty power which you know is really a power of, of foreign relations, um, and the and the and the, the appointments power, the power to nominate people to serve in the executive branch or as judges. Um, the, those types, those two types of powers are shared with Congress um, in ways that the pardon power or the the commander in chief power. Um, are not. So the president doesn't need to check in with the Senate or with the Congress to give somebody a pardon. Uh, he does need to check in with the, at least the Senate um, to get a treaty ratified or to get a, 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 a appointment made to a principal office um, of the United States. So the, the, the treaty stuff, um, you know, is, it's largely a dead letter today, I think, really. Uh, but I think the, the framers' idea 
was that if we were going to have um, um, international diplomacy and we were going to reach um, agreements with foreign countries, that the way that would work would be that the the president would um, negotiate the treaties with the foreign countries, and then he would bring them back to the Senate for ratification. And if you got a two-thirds vote in the Senate, um, then those treaties would become the domestic law of the United States. But um, almost every part of that is a dead letter today. Um, yeah. Treaties that do that do get a two-thirds vote of the Senate still don't become a domestic law of the United States now. They they have to um, still Congress would still have to pass implementing legislation today, which was something that I think the framers didn't think about very much. Um, and also, Congress can generally rely on its its enumerated power to um, regulate commerce with foreign nations um, to pass legislation that deals with international subjects whether or not two thirds of the Senate has ratified a treaty. So um, things like NAFTA, which are sort of a, you know, a big important, um, we think of it as a treaty, uh, but it was only ever implemented as a statute. Congress enacted the NAFTA statute, um, but there was never a two thirds vote to ratify it uh, in the Senate. So I would say that the, I don't know if you have a different perspective on this, but I think the, the framers kind of imagined that agreements with other countries would be binding if two thirds of the Senate ratified them. Whereas in today's practice, treaties with other countries are never, ever, ever binding. Doesn't really make any difference whether two thirds of the Senate ratifies them or not. But but Congress can pass laws um, through the ordinary um, uh, lawmaking mechanism of enacting statutes um, that do deal with um, topics that affect uh, international uh, relations or, or or foreign affairs. No, you're not wrong at all. As a matter of fact, I mean. Not only do I think you have that go into effect, but then when you put it in conjunction with the supremacy clause, you see not only the idea that we wanted to have them be able to go into effect, but we didn't want the Constitution to be a backdoor way to undo our obligations overseas, right? And so what, and again, we'll get to this, but the supremacy clause effectively says, look, well, the Constitution and the treaties that we make are going to be the supreme law of the land. Uh, uh, you know, really, I think the only thing that it, it was a little bit up for debate was, you know, what did they actually mean by the advice and consent? I'm not sure all of the framers thought that we were going to do it in just the manner that you kind of outlined there, the, 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 the post-Washington manner of, well, I'm going to conduct all of it, and then I'm going to bring it back to you, and you're going to ratify it. There you were know, obviously the, the some tree- who thought there was going to be some more give or take, but that just didn't. That did not functionally work well in the first Senate. Right. And the treaty, the for treaties, the the number two thirds is there. So there there has to be a vote and it has to be a two thirds vote in, yes. in the Senate. Um for, for the um uh, appointments power, there's no specific number there. So yeah, I think what, what they meant by consent might have been a little bit more vague, but it it was quickly taken to mean a simple majority vote. Right. The Senate gives consent when it gives a simple majority vote. And so the appointments power. Um, which is very, very dependent on Congress because all of these positions, the, it says that the president can appoint with the advice and consent of the Senate ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, judges, other officers. But none of those jobs exist um, unless the, the Congress passes statutes that create those jobs. So the Constitution doesn't guarantee that there's going to be any ambassadors or any public ministers and consuls, or um, right. I guess it does guarantee that there'll be judges of the Supreme Court, but it doesn't guarantee that there'll be any other officer of the United States. So so Congress has to pass statutes 
deciding what jobs there are going to be in the in the executive branch and in the judicial branch. And then for those jobs within those branches that would be considered officers of the United States, the president can nominate people. And then as we would now understand it, with a, with a, with a majority vote in the Senate, um, the Senate can uh, confirm those people. Now, there's more to talk about with this, but I'm going to have to end. This is the end of our ad-supported preview. So I, I hope you've been, been kind of captivated already by, by what Ken and I have been talking about. Uh, but we're going to pause here. If you want to listen to the rest of the show, that means it's time for you to take the leap and become a supporter of The Politics Guys. Being a supporter of The Politics Guys is what makes this show possible. So how do you do that? How do you finish up this conversation and get a bunch of other really cool benefits? Well, you can head to patreon.com slash politics guys and see all the different levels of support. It doesn't just get you this, the rest of this show. It gets you ad-free shows. It also gets you access to some brand new things we're doing, including on the 17th of June at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, we're going to be doing live listener participation segments. This is the second one we've done. It's gone over really well, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. So not only are you going to get to the rest of this show, you're going to get to have a chance to join Mike and Jay on a live show on the 17th, again, at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time for everybody at the $10 a month uh, uh, Patreon level of support or higher. So again, head to patreon.com slash politics guys to hear the rest of this show, to move past the, uh, the ad barrier in so much more more. There's other ways to support us. We're on Venmo, if you like, at Politics Guys. You can also support the show on PayPal. You can see all of these different support ways right down there in the show notes, and we'd love for you to do that and finish listening, be part of the live show, and more. If you'd like to look at that a different way, uh, maybe you don't have the access to your hands right now and you want to uh, uh, see this on the website, you can head to politicsguys.com slash support to see all the different ways you can support. And again, if you're at that $10 a month or higher level, you'll have access to our second live participation segment with uh, Mike and Jay on the 17th at 9 a.m. Eastern uh, Daylight Time. So if you're not in a position to get the rest of the show uh, financially, I totally understand. Like I was saying, I've got kids. Uh, you can uh, do that by just reaching out to Mike at mikeatpoliticsguys.com and he can get you set up. So whether you're a supporter or not, we would love for you to continue to subscribe and rate this on the podcast app of your choice. If you've got comics, questions, or any other kinds of suggestions, you can always reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. You'll find the links in the show notes. The executive producers of The Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Morano, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, Don Oglesby, and Ivan English. We'll be back with a new episode this weekend. I hope you'll join us.